Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté. There have been a number of big developments in the Russiagate saga from the indictment of Clinton campaign attorney Michael Sussman for allegedly lying to the FBI to the return of Christopher Steele speaking out in his first public comments defending his so-called dossier, including the P-tape. And today, do you still believe that that tape exists? I think it probably does, but I wouldn't put 100% certainty on it. So you stand by the dossier? I stand by the work we did, the sources that we had, and the professionalism which we applied to it. Well, joining me is someone who has played a critical role in exposing the fraud and surveillance abuses behind Russiagate. Kash Patel is a attorney and former government official served in the Obama-era Justice Department and then served in several senior roles under the Trump administration and served as a senior staffer on the House Intelligence Committee, where he helped uncover the FBI surveillance abuses in relying on the Steele dossier. Cash Patel, welcome back to Pushback. Hey, Aaron. Thanks so much for having me back. Uh, really uh, great to be with you and glad you're still covering this these subjects with such great, uh, great scrutiny. Uh, thank you for, for coming back. So I wanted to first get your response to Christopher Steele making his first public comments uh, since this whole scandal began. Uh, he stands by his work, he says. I'm just curious what <laughs> your reaction was when you heard that. Well, I mean, I laughed a lot harder and a lot louder for a lot longer. Um, my response to that is he's basically taken the same approach as the James Comey's and Annie McCabe's of the world. Um, and Lisa Page, Peter Strzok, and the list goes on that basically they could never do any wrong. They can't even do any wrong when it's proven that their actions were not only corrupt and fraudulent, but intentionally done so in that manner. And it wasn't proven by cheap rhetoric. It was proven by the FBI's own documentation, the DOJ's own documentation, which we had to fight for when we were in House Intel when I was running the Russiagate investigation. And that's why they didn't want to turn it over. And Christopher Steele, no surprise, taking a page right out of James Comey's playbook to say, never admit you're wrong. You're always right. And when you have a willing media, at least half of them who are, who are uh, permitting you to have a national platform like George Stephanopoulos, who was a senior Clinton advisor. So his bias during the program should have been on a banner the entire time. But let's put that aside. And he gets and he allows Christopher Steele, the world's biggest fraud, to come on a global stage and say, I was right and doesn't challenge him with any actual questions of fact. So I think most people see what he is for what he is. It took us four or five years to prove it, but um, I think there's probably still some work left. Indeed, it wasn't until late 2017 that the public found out that the Clinton campaign was funding the Steele dossier. Mm -hmm. And I think for some people that was a turning point, although the narrative, the, the Trump-Russia collusion narrative lasted a whole lot longer. How hard was that for you to find out? Was this something that was easily discoverable or how did you go about discovering who was really behind the Steele dossier? I mean, the strategy behind it was something you learned, you know, as a former federal public defender and a former uh, national security prosecutor, federal prosecutor uh, for, you know, over a decade, you kind of learn on fraud cases, on, on cases where Pfizer is used, where I use Pfizer's to surveil terrorism suspects around the world and bring terrorism prosecutions. I was very familiar with it and also the intel community with my first rotation in DOD coming under the Obama administration doing global targeting. So 
I basically had the background for it and the roadmap, the strategy overall is pretty simple. I told Devin Nunes, who was chairing the House Intel Committee at the time, I said, look, the simplest way to get to the bottom of this is follow the money. Somebody paid for it. There's going to be bank records. There's no way this was done uh, without large volumes of money moving. So I, I, I kind of chased it as a large scale fraud slash conspiracy. And then the other thing was I said, look, we got a FISA, which is just a fancy word for search warrant that's based on a questionable source. Let's look at the source's credibility. So those were the kind of two main lanes um, I, I, I sort of uh, drew out for our committee then. There was one thing that Christopher Steele said in his documentary that I found confusing. I mean, just putting aside just how ridiculous it is that he's still defending his work. But 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 one thing he said that actually I thought was substantively interesting. Okay. So George Stephanopoulos asked him um, what he was tasked with doing by Glenn Simpson. Glenn Simpson is the co-founder of Fusion GPS, this private intelligence firm working for the Clinton, hired by the Clinton campaign in April 2016. Mm -hmm. So George Stephanopoulos asked Steele what he was tasked to do, and Steele said he was tasked to do two things. In the spring of 2016, he approached you with a job. What exactly did he ask you to look into? Two things, really. One was what the Russians were doing in terms of potential interference in the campaign, and two, what the links were between Trump and the Trump campaign in Russia. Steele's someone who had already investigated and found evidence of Russian involvement in European elections. So when someone comes to you and says Russia might be interfering in the American elections and wants your help, it's not coming as a complete surprise. Not at all, really. Essentially, we'd seen this kind of, almost this virus coming from the East through Eastern Europe into Western Europe and then landing on your shores, sadly, for yourselves. And I found that confusing because I've never heard it said before that Steele was tasked with looking at uh, not just Trump-Russia ties. I mean, we knew that that was his mission, but also he says into looking at Russian interference in the election. And the reason I find that all the more curious, aside from the fact that that's never been said before that that was his mission, is that at that point, we're talking like early, mid-April 2016, Russian interference in the election isn't a thing yet. It's not a yeah. public narrative. Mm -hmm. It's only at the end of the month that the DNC reportedly discovers that it's got some hackers inside its system. And that's when they hire CrowdStrike, which I'm going to ask you about shortly. But I'm wondering, have you heard that before, that Christopher Steele was tasked with investigating both potential Trump-Russia ties and this Russia, alleged Russian interference in the election, which wasn't even a public talking point yet? Now, that's a great distinction that almost no one picked up on. And it's no surprise that you picked up on it, though, the way you pay attention to these details. I think what they're trying to do is work backwards here, backpedal, basically. Christopher Steele is counting on people to forget the timeline of when Russian interference and all those investigations actually occurred. And what he's doing is he's using his current platform to say, oh, you know, I was hired just on the Russian interference angle. And also, you know, even though my other angle is totally disproven, I'm just going to rest my laurels on Russian interference because everyone knows Russia interfered with the election and he's trying to get credit for actually proving um, Russian interference, which he had nothing to do with. He didn't do that investigation. As far as I know, he wasn't charged with that investigation. Uh, we couldn't find any documentation saying that was his goal. As an FBI source, it certainly was not. His goal and his written agreements with the FBI were to infiltrate the Trump campaign and see if the Trump campaign individuals had any ties to Russian uh, government officials or Russian companies and the 
like. So I think this is a conflation by Christopher Steele basically saying, well, everybody believes in the Russian interference narrative. So let me hop on that bandwagon and try to bury the lead, which is I was I, Christopher Steele, was shown to be a total fraud, not just by the House Intel Committee or the Inspector General or the Senate Intel Committee, but by courts of law in Britain. And that's those suits are now transferring over to America and he's being sued on multiple fronts in America. And I'm sure those judgments are going to come soon. All right, so this brings me to Michael Sussman. He is the Clinton campaign attorney with Perkins Coy, recently indicted by John Durham for allegedly mm -hmm. lying to the FBI. And he's accused of lying to the FBI while pushing a scam, This uh, trying to suggest that there's a covert communications channel between the Trump organization, or really a Trump organization-affiliated marketing server, mm -hmm. and a Russia's Alpha Bank. And he presents to the FBI some technical data and some white papers, basically trying to make the case that this was a secret channel between Trump and Russia. The, this meeting with the FBI between Sussman and Jim Baker happens in September 2016. And Durham, John Durham, the special counsel, accuses Sussman of concealing the fact that Sussman was working on behalf of the Clinton campaign. He was billing for his time uh, while working on this project, and he was consulting heavily with the Clinton campaign. And also, he was consulting or coordinating with Fusion GPS, mm -hmm. the contractor that had been hired to uh, do the Steele dossier, the, 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 the fabricated claims of, uh, of Trump-Russia collusion and blackmail. Uh, when you were looking at the origins of the Russia investigation, uh, I know that you, you interviewed Michael Sussman when he came in to the House Intelligence Committee. Did, did you come across this Alpha Bank uh, story as a part of your work? And, and did you see it as, as a part of the fraud uh, as John Durham is now laying out in detail? Yeah, so actually that's a great point. So that's the third leg of our investigation. I talked to you about the first two tracks that we sort of stood up. The third one is witnesses. You know, witnesses are individuals who you think have information that is relevant to your investigation. We had 60 some witnesses that we identified and interrogated under oath in, in the format of a deposition that I took at the House Intelligence Committee. Michael Sussman was one of them. We did private citizens, we did the Attorney General, the heads of the FBI, things like that, the heads of the IC, because they had relevant information. So what we had been able to piece together then was that, you know, Perkins Coie, had received tens of millions of dollars from the DNC and Hillary campaign. They had used that money to hire Fusion GPS and Fusion GPS paid Christopher Steele six figure amounts of money um, to investigate Russian matters while concurrently paying uh, Nellie Orr, the wife of one of the most senior attorneys at DOJ, $50,000 to do the same thing. Um, but we'll just put that aside because she never actually came in to be interrogated. Um, but during the Sussman interview, we knew ahead of time that Michael Sussman at Perkins Coie was working for the DNC and the Hillary campaign. So if you look at the John Durham indictment of Michael Sussman, it actually quotes pieces of that interrogation, the question and answer, the questions that I asked and answers that Sussman gave. We knew he was working for a client. We knew at the time the client was Hillary and DNC. But if you look at the answers, it's very clear. And I wanted to lock him in on this to say, you didn't go there on your own free will and as a good Samaritan, you went there because you're getting paid millions of dollars to do this research or conjure up this research, I should say. So fast forward four years later, when John Durham alleges that Sussman lied to the FBI, 
I think it's not an allegation. I know that's what indictments are, but in terms of evidence, he's caught flat foot. He's caught flat footed. Michael Sussman lied to the head counsel of the FBI by saying he went in there with that Russia Alpha Bank server information on his own as a good Samaritan. The bank records are listed in the indictment. As I said before, follow the money, millions of dollars. We got Sussman under oath saying he was there for a client, very specific client. Of course, he hid behind attorney-client privilege and wouldn't tell us which client. So he either lied to Congress in 2017 or he lied to the FBI, but he can't have not lied to both. Um, and then the Alpha Bank Russia server stuff, we could talk about that, but yeah, it was a part of our investigation. Um, many, many branches of this investigation, but um, it was not one of our major, major focuses, but definitely something we concentrated on when it came to the likes of Sussman, because he was pushing this information to government organizations. And we were trying to get to the bottom of why is this political operative pushing information we felt was false to the FBI and other government organizations. That, that was a really big concern, especially if we did find a connection to the information that was false and ultimately to the, uh, you know, the crossfire hurricane investigation. Now, Durham hasn't formally claimed this yet, but I think he's, I think he's hinted at it. And I've seen certainly indications of this in media reports that basically that this Alpha Bank thing is not just another Trump Russia conspiracy theory, that actually there's some fabric, there's some deliberate fabrication involved here, including even fabricating technical data to make it look as if there's some kind of web traffic between the Trump organization and Alpha Bank. Do you have any comments on that? Do you have any sense of whether that is a fair suspicion that this wasn't just a case of someone inventing a conspiracy theory, but actually fabricating data, web data, to make it look as if the conspiracy theory is valid. Yeah, and he wouldn't be the first one to fabricate data. Durham's first indictment in Kleinsmith is basically another individual who fabricated data. But turning to your question here on, is this a, if you look at John Durham's 27 page indictment, um, which is stunning because as a former federal prosecutor, I've charged people with lying to the FBI or lying to law enforcement. That's a two page indictment, three max. What you do in rare instances is you issue this thing called a speaking indictment, which is what John Durham's indictment is. It's 27 pages because what he's doing is he's using his only means of communicating to the public. As you know, John Durham doesn't leak and we can't find out anything he's doing, but an indictment is public. And he basically lays out a fraud style conspiracy, a mob conspiracy almost, by listing eight to 10 individuals by name. And we can go through, we know who they are. He, he's not allowed to list their names, but we know exactly who they are. Not only is he scrutinizing the conduct of the defendant, Sussman, but he's scrutinizing the conduct of the likes of, of Fusion GPS, Mark Elias, Sussman's co-founder or partner over at Perkins Coie, Glenn Simpson over at Fusion GPS, and others. The others are, directly to your question, these research guys that put together the white paper for uh, Michael Sussman. And if you look at the indictment itself, he puts, he, John Durham, puts in the indictment that the underlying researchers not only had questions about the veracity of, of what Michael Sussman was asking them to do and paying them to do, but actually flat out said that Sussman was wrong in presenting any information to the contrary would almost be a lie. And that's spelled out in the Durham investigation. And he's not going to speculate that in an indictment unless he's already proven it. That's what you put in indictments, things you have proven behind the scenes, but just haven't made public yet. So I think it's I think he's more than alleging it. I think he's proven it with 
his investigation. And that's why you also haven't heard much commentary from the head honchos of this uh, fraud, like McCabe and Comey and Strzok and Lisa Page and Clapper and Brennan. They, they were off on their big CNN contracts, but as of late, you haven't heard much from them. And that's usually what happens when you issue an indictment that worries people. Hmm. Hmm. So my question is, and I, this is an issue I explore in my newest article for Real Clear Investigations, is whether the company CrowdStrike was a part of this fabricated narrative. CrowdStrike is the firm that first went public with the claim that Russian hackers had stolen data from the DNC. Mm-hmm. And it turns out the CrowdStrike was hired by none other than Michael Sussman, the recently indicted Clinton campaign lawyer. And um, as what I uh, detail in my article, Michael Sussman played a critical role, not just in hiring CrowdStrike, mm-hmm. but in uh, bringing their allegations to the FBI and in managing the flow of information from CrowdStrike to the FBI. The FBI relied on, CrowdStri- on CrowdStrike's forensics to mm-hmm. investigate the DNC servers. They didn't do their own independent investigation. And CrowdStrike submitted these redacted reports that Michael Sussman personally had a hand in, in, in redacting. So I'm wondering, Given that Michael Sussman is, you know, according to this indictment, is involved in some kind of um, Russia fraud, and not, and not just the Alpha Bank one, but also his firm, uh, his his firm Perkins Coie hired, of course, Fusion GPS, which put out the Steele dossier, another fraud. I'm wondering if that raises any new questions for you about CrowdStrike's role in all this. Yeah, and that was an awesome article that not many people followed that um, line of effort. Uh, closely enough, I think, and I'm glad you did, because CrowdStrike is one of the biggest culprits of the Russia fraud itself, dating back to James Comey. And remember, Sean Henry is like a James Comey acolyte from the from his time at the FBI. And he's the CrowdStrike funder. It might be Sean Henry. I can't remember his exact Yeah, Sean Henry. Yeah. Anyway, um, he's the guy who created CrowdStrike, then got millions and millions of dollars uh, in contracts from the DNC Hillary campaign and FBI to do cybersecurity related work. And you're right. The thing that put us off about CrowdStrike was the fact that they served as the referee to the whole investigation regarding how the DNC server and if it was ever hacked by the Russian government. For some reason, for the only time in FBI's history that I can think of, having worked with them for uh, almost 15 years, is they allowed an outside non-government entity to referee, that is to go in and seize the servers of a target of an investigation and let a third party CrowdStrike referee what the FBI could and could not have access to and then what the FBI could and could not exploit. So of course, then you have James Comey come back and say, oh, you know, make the blanket statement that you know, we, we couldn't find anything on the servers of value to the Russia investigation that's because they never had the entire server. And that's why I think your article is so poignant because someone needs to go in from government and I'm hoping John Durham did this and go and obtain those servers in their entirety and have them exploited by the government that, and, and an FBI you can trust. And I'm, I think John Durham has some folks over there that are doing the right work. And I think you will find that th- th- there just aren't these types of coincidences in government. There's no way that Michael Sussman, the head lawyer, one of the head lawyers for the DNC and Hillary campaign, uh, former DOJ attorney for cyber crimes, and then you have Sean Henry, former FBI official at CrowdStrike, who was hired not only by the FBI and the DNC, but Sussman as well. There's no way these characters act together in concert to prevent 
perpetuate the biggest fraud in US presidential history. And then us say publicly, they didn't have anything to do with the Alpha Bank stuff. I think they're knee deep in the Alpha Bank stuff. If you're paying this company millions of dollars to do cyber work to get the details of the Alpha Bank stuff, um, then I think CrowdStrike, I believe, is heavily involved. And I think that's what John Durham's looking at. I know that Jim Comey explained publicly that he said that the FBI tried to get access to the servers, but they were denied it. So he said that they settled for CrowdStrike, <laughs> which he called a highly respected company. Have you been able to, when did the DNC provide access for, to the FBI um, for your, your technical folks to review what happened? Well, we never got direct access to the machines themselves. The DNC in the spring of 2016 hired a firm that ultimately shared with us uh, their, their forensics from their review of the system. Um, Director Rogers, did the NSA ever get access to the DNC, DNC yeah. hardware? The NSA um, didn't ask for access. That's not in our job jar. That would good, be good copy. So, Director, um, FBI notified the DNC um, um, f early, before any information was put on WikiLeaks, and when um, you have still been never been given access to any of the technical or the physical uh, machines that were that were that were hacked by the Russians. That's correct, although we got the forensics from the pros that they hired, which, uh, again, your best uh, practice is always to get access to the machines themselves, but this, my folks tell me, was an appropriate substitute. And the FBI, in this case, unlike other cases that you might investigate, did you ever have access to the actual hardware that was hacked, or did you have to rely on a third party uh, to provide you the data that they had collected? In the case of the DNC, and I believe the DCCC, but I'm sure the DNC, we did not have access to the devices themselves. We got uh, relevant forensic information from a private party, a, a high-class entity that had done the work, but we didn't get direct access. But no content? Correct. Um, isn't content an important part of the forensics uh, from a counterintelligence standpoint? It is, although what was briefed to me by my folks the people who were my folks at the time, is that they had gotten the information from the private party that they needed to understand the intrusion by the spring of 2016. Do you know what happened there? Has there ever yeah. been any attempt to find out what, I, was there an attempt, a serious attempt by the FBI to get access? And do you know no. who, who denied it and, and what actually happened? Because as you say, it's incredibly strange to let the victim, the purported victim, the Democratic Party, control the investigation mm -hmm. of this most critical issue, this foundational issue of the hacking of the DNC server. I mean, this was the incident that basically kicked off Russiagate. Yeah, I mean, it's a big deal to have one of the two largest political parties in the United States of America say they were hacked by one of our biggest opponents. You would want the US government to find that out for the American people. Didn't matter if it was a DNC that was hacked or the RNC, you would wanna know that. And what James Comey did was he basically said, I am smarter than everybody else, which is what he always does, and used government speak to trample on how an investigation is normally run. Here's how you get to the details, Aaron. You subpoena the servers. You, the FBI, and the Department of Justice have full-out subpoena authority on an investigation of this magnitude when you're saying a foreign country interfered and broke into the servers of a political party in America. 
you could go to a, uh, an Article Three judge and get a warrant overnight for that. They refused to do that. When we asked them why they didn't do that, they didn't give us an answer. They just said what you said a little bit ago. CrowdStrike's great. We can trust them. I've never in my life, and this goes back to my public defender days, ever been able to convince the FBI that, oh, hey, by the way, what my defendant is saying, the company he used is good enough. You, the FBI, don't have to look at it. Every judge would have laughed me out of federal court. Every FBI agent, and rightfully so, would have said, we're hitting you with a subpoena if you don't want to help us investigate this actual crime. And for some reason, James Comey was able to dupe the Obama administration's DOJ and then later the Trump administration's DOJ into continuing this charade. And he has never been asked pinpoint a question and answer on that that doesn't result in him saying CrowdStrike is great. Just to underscore how curious it is, because I don't think many people know Mm-hmm. Uh, the the sort of the, the the players here. So you have in the same month you have the Clinton campaign via its lawyers at Perkins Coy hiring both Fusion GPS yep. and CrowdStrike. Fusion GPS is hired in so at some point in April 2016 to investigate Trump Russia ties. Shortly afterwards, they then hire CrowdStrike to investigate the alleged hacking of the DNC server. Right. And then in June, CrowdStrike comes forward with the claim that Russia's hacked the DNC. And shortly after that, Fusion GPS. Uh, produces the first of its many steel reports. And basically through these two contractors, the Clinton campaign gets to have unprecedented influence over one of the most consequential national security investigations in US history and an investigation that completely engulfs their political opponents in the Trump camp. So via Fusion GPS, the FBI plant, uh, via, via Fusion GPS, the Clinton campaign basically plants Trump-Russia conspiracy theories in the media and the FBI, because we know now, thanks to your work, that the FBI relied on the Steele dossier for investigative leads. They maintained a spreadsheet, basically checking off every single lead they could uh, get from Steele. And they also relied on Steele for the surveillance warrants on Carter Page. That's a scandal. And then when it comes to the Russian hacking allegation, they rely on the reports of CrowdStrike uh, instead of doing their own investigation of the DNC server. So you have this unprecedented scandal and an unprecedented situation where you have a political operation controlling essentially the flow of information to it, which is just pretty remarkable. Let me ask you about the CrowdStrike reports. I spoke to a source for my story who is not authorized to discuss uh, the, mm-hmm. uh, the contents of the CrowdStrike report, so I can't name them. But what they basically told me is that from what they reviewed, uh, there were many reports. They reviewed some of them. They were left very unimpressed by these CrowdStrike reports. And what they told me is basically it looked to them as if CrowdStrike was trying very hard to make a case that this was that they were certain that this was Russian government hackers. In your work as in the House Intelligence Committee, did you obtain the CrowdStrike reports? And is there anything you can discuss about them here today? Um, I'll say this: what I can discuss about them. CrowdStrike was a a piece of our investigation. We did focus on it and the details that we're allowed to discuss, you know, I'll just leave to the written House Intel report on Russian active measures. But what I'll say is combine that information that we did issue in public with the John Durham indictment when he talks about um, the Russia Alpha Bank stuff and the researchers there that are basically saying the same thing that your source about is saying about the CrowdStrike reports. It's not, again, it's not a coincidence that your source, who seems very credible in this instance, and John Durham and us back in the Russia hipsy days uh, was all just speculating that CrowdStrike 
might be full of it. I think there's more to it than uh, that style of government coincidence. It doesn't exist. And it means to me that CrowdStrike was heavily involved in not just the genesis, but the specific line that you're talking about here, which is a rush, the, excuse me, the Alpha Bank server route. I do think there's those reports need to be made public. And hopefully John Durham is using those reports. To me, as a former federal prosecutor, I think he's actually using those reports um, is my read of his out, uh, indictment of, of Michael Sussman. And that's why they haven't been made public yet, but hopefully they will be soon. And I think you'll get a more direct answer to your question. But um, for now, I got a hold there. Anything more about the Michael Sussman indictment do you think is that people should be thinking about as, uh, as, the, as the John Durham investigation unfolds? Yeah, I think you need to take the, not only the John Durham investigation, but go ahead and take the Mueller investigation, right? If one special counsel is allowed to charge the people with lying to Congress, why isn't John Durham? John Durham, I get charged Michael Sussman with lying to the FBI, but what about the guys that lied to me under oath to Congress when I took their deposition? Uh, what about them? I believe Glenn Simpson and Fusion GPS committed a federal offense by lying to Congress. I believe other individuals such as Andy McCabe, Peter Strzok, James Comey, Clapper, Brennan, all can be looked at for the same type of conduct that, uh, that Mueller indicted so many people on, lying to Congress. It's the same statute and the same offense, basically, as lying to law enforcement, the FBI, you just changed the who you lied to. But it's still a federal offense, punishable by a long time in prison. And these types of people need to be held accountable. This is why I have hope in John Durham, because he was willing to bring uh, this investigation, which is really hard to do. You're going after the Democratic Party's top political lawyer. It's just unheard of. And the fact that he broke that one as his major indictment leads me to believe he's looking at the others. And uh, or at least I hope he is. So earlier this year, a article came out about you in the Washington Post by David Ignatius. It's a lengthy uh, profile of you. Uh, and he, he spoke to several sources who, in the government who were critical of you. But that top headline was this. It said that you are facing possible Department of Justice investigation for, quote, possible improper disclosure of classified information. And what Ignatius revealed was that a complaint was made by members of, of an unnamed intelligence agency about you. He didn't say, though, whether there is an actual investigation going on. He hinted at it, but he didn't outright say it. And when I asked him to clarify, he basically wouldn't. He said he, he wouldn't confirm that there was an actual active investigation. So I think he was only suggesting it. And when I've tried to uh, FOIA to get a Freedom of Information Act request for the details of this, I've been, um, I've been denied. So it's unclear whether there's an actual investigation of you. Have you heard anything about this yet? Do you know if there's uh, anything active against you right now? I've not heard anything. And, and I'll just say this, you know, in terms of David Ignatius and the rest of the media, you know, you cited his headline correctly. He said that I could, I was possibly under investigation. Well, everybody's possibly under investigation for anything. What he wanted to do and what the mainstream media has done continuously and made it very personal against me is to allow people to quickly read headlines and regurgitate them 
And what that translates into in three seconds is Cash Patel is under investigation. And that's what so many uh, millions of readers read from that article. So many uh, other media outlets picked up and quoted and cited David Ignatius to say Cash Patel is under investigation. But David Ignatius knew even through his source network that he couldn't verify that because when it comes to classified information, I've always handled that with the utmost care. I was in for 16 years. We didn't, we could have easily went to the media and leaked like so many in government did to prove a false narrative, be it in the IC, be it in DOD, be it at DOJ and FBI when they were coming after us to try to stand or stand up and counter our actual righteous investigation. So I've been on the receiving end of these personal attacks. It doesn't surprise me. Um, it's unfortunate because it does take a toll on people's personal lives, especially when they start coming after people's families. And this is this this door that Ignatius opens um, further allows them to do that with even greater disregard for uh, you know any human being. I will say one thing I found interesting about this article is that it did it, it was a rare admission in the corporate media, you know, in the outlets that have pushed Russiagate and bought into so much of the propaganda. It was a rare admission that you were right. Let me read it to you. It says this, Cash Patel sometimes hit pay dirt. He was the main author of a January 2018 House Intelligence Committee report recounting abuses by the FBI in its application for electronic surveillance of former Trump campaign aide Carter Page. Though Democrats at the time were reluctant to agree, Facts that emerged later showed serious abuses in the Page investigation, and a former FBI lawyer, Kevin Kleinsmith, pleaded guilty last year to falsifying information that was used to apply for warrants from the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. So that's David Ignatius, a rare admission, I think, Cash, in uh, the Washington Post, that you were right when it comes to the Nunes <laughs> memo and the, and the abuses uh, directed at Carter Page. I mean, I guess you can only run away from the actual facts for so, so long. You know, we knew we were right because we were using the facts that were provided to us from DOJ and the FBI um, and uh, sworn testimony like Andy McCabe when he told us under oath, if there was no Steele dossier, there would not have been a FISA application approved, period. And that was also in our memo and we got scrutinized to it and we couldn't declassify the actual uh, testimony of Andy McCabe for some time. But those things all came out, showed us to be truthful and accurate. And when it comes, so David Ignatius, I guess, had to put that in there, probably to, you know, his discouragement. And then, but he got his headline, you know, that I was possibly under investigation for, you know, dealing classified information. And, and I'll just say, look, I've always followed the law when it comes to not just classified information, but everything as a federal prosecutor, federal defender, and as former senior government official in the intelligence community at DOD. I don't leak classified information. That's not... Uh, it hurts our national security every single time that you do that. And I could leak classified information and people probably would never hear about it just to, you know, get some personal gain out of it in the media. But I don't care about what these people write about me. Um, I care about the job and the mission. And I always put that first. One thing that Ignatius does write about, and you and I discussed this in our last interview earlier this year, is that you did try to formally declassify information, mm -hmm. critical inf information that could help the public understand the origins of the Trump-Russia investigation. And Ignatius reports that you basically ha faced heavy pushback from uh, Gina Haspel, who was then head of the CIA, from Paul Nakasane, who was then head of the NSA. Mm -hmm. And also he, he reports that Attorney General William Barr 
who has this public image in the media basically doing Trump's bidding at every turn, that William Barr actually sided with them. And he opposed declassification of key Russia investigation materials as well. Is there anything you can tell us about that? Yeah, look, when it comes to and that, and you bring up a great point, there's a legal and lawful way to declassify documents and information for the American public who are our ultimate clients. I mean, those are who we sign up to serve for, not ourselves. I mean, James Comey signs up to serve himself and so does McCabe and those, and those clowns, Adam Schiff. But there's a path created by law to declassify documents and you can do so safely. We did it during the entire Russiagate investigation and the Nunes memo, or if you recall the Bruce Orr 302s, great portions of the FISA applications themselves, some of the underlying documents. Every time we went to declassify this through the correct process, we would get hit with the senseless appetite, oh, you're going to danger national security and sources are going to die. Well, we didn't endanger any national security and no source died through our declassification. So when we faced headwinds from the likes of Gina Haspel or Bill Barr, it was no surprise. They were taking the knee-jerk government responses, protect your organization from anything that would, prop, would cast a bad light. That is they would show your misconduct and your misdeeds. And that's why we had to fight so hard just for DOJ and FBI. So I'll put it to your audience this way. Yes, the information we declassified lawfully showed that the FBI and DOJ acted improperly and with great misconduct. And the American public should know that. They should know the same thing if the CIA or the other intelligence communities were in on it or helped perpetuate this fraud. And that's what we were fighting for. And that's why we face such stiff headwinds because the heads of those agencies while they were heading them, didn't want to be embarrassed under their watch. And uh, we tried. We showed that it's possible. This administration can do it. I know, I know they won't. This Congress can do it. I know they won't. But there's still, I would say, Aaron, 30 to 40 percent of documentation that I wish I'd gotten out that would inform the American public in a safe manner um, that has not yet been released. And one thing I forgot to ask you about with CrowdStrike was this bombshell admission under questioning by your committee, uh, by Sean Henry, the CEO of CrowdStrike, in December 2017, where he admitted that CrowdStrike, despite publicly accusing Russia of hacking the DNC servers, that CrowdStrike, in fact, had no concrete evidence that these yep. alleged Russian hackers actually exfiltrated anything from the servers. And one of the things I point out in my article is that Read retrospectively, it appears as if U.S. government intelligence reports reflect that evidentiary uncertainty because, you know, the Mueller report and uh, a joint uh, FBI DHS report use qualifiers like Russian hackers appear to have exfiltrated mm -hmm. data, which I think reflects that uncertainty. Is that a fair way you think to read those reports? The, the use of those qualifiers indicates or, or it reflects the evidentiary uncertainty that CrowdStrike admitted to in this buried testimony? I think you're spot on. And buried testimony is exactly what it is, because most of the public had moved on and most of the media had moved on from ever covering uh, this, if, if they were even covering it before. But it hits it right on the head. CrowdStrike itself, the company that was hired by the FBI, the DNC, and so many others to do this work, um, they themselves, under their leadership, under testimony, admit that they could not answer the question they were hired to answer. And so it forced the other government agencies to come out with statements that you said, because the other government agencies were relying on CrowdStrike. So if they themselves couldn't find the answer to the question, um, then the FBI, DOJ, DHS, who have you, could not come in and say otherwise, since they already were out there saying, we're, we're gonna believe what CrowdStrike tells us. And uh, 
Glenn Simpson, the uh, co-founder of Fusion GPS, when he talked about the timing where CrowdStrike's allegations happen to coincide with his firm's investigations of potential Trump-Russia ties, he called that, quote, sort of an extraordinary coincidence. <laughs> That's what he said to your committee. I mean, looking back now, do you think it was an extraordinary coincidence? No. And, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm one of those guys that will tell you in government, there just aren't any coincidence, coincidences of that magnitude in investigations of that great importance. And so when some people in the Glenn Fusion, Glenn Simpsons of the world, the Fusion GPS, and others such as the Sussmans of the world or the NC are now saying this is a coincidence and that's a coincidence from the past and Christopher Steele saying it's all a coincidence. Um, I think that only highlights and metastasizes the problems that John Durham has brought to light. And I think he's going to continue to do that with more indictments to come in the coming months here. All right, Cash, you have a website now called fightwithcash.com. What is that about? Yeah, thanks so much. Fightwithcash.com with a K basically started out as, um, you know, you can only get so many false um, epithets slung your way before you start fighting back to clear your name. And that's what we did. Um, I, I've sued the New York Times, Politico and CNN for defamation for falsely providing the world information about me as it, as it relates to the Ukraine impeachment hoax. So I started, long story short, I started those movements myself, and then I would go around the country on Devin Nunes' thing called the Freedom Tour, and we would meet a lot of Americans and talk to them. And they said, hey, we've been defamed, we've been deplatformed by big media and big tech, but we don't have the money to go out there and find good lawyers. So I started fightwithcash.com. You can check out the website. I put out all my content for free. All we ask for is uh, donations to help uh, myself and others fight the mainstream media and big tech. If you've been defamed, you can message me directly there. You can send me write-ups of your cases. We've got lawyers on standby um, and we're gonna use the fight with cash legal offensive trust is what it's classified under as under law for all valid uh, legal proceedings that we can. So I encourage your, your viewers to check out fightwithcash.com and I appreciate you giving me a minute to talk about it. It's really, really important to me. Cash Patel, attorney and former US government official served under both the Obama and Trump administrations. Cash, it's, a, it's an exciting time, I think, for people who have been trying to get at the real story of the mm -hmm. Russia investigation. And the John Durham indictment um, certainly has so much detail. And as you talked about, I think certainly suggests that there's a lot more to come. And I look forward to having the chance to speak with you about this again as more developments unfold. Thanks, Aaron. I look forward to coming back uh, uh, whenever you want. Appreciate it. All right, Cash Patel, thanks very much.